It's go time. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. Don Cherubin along with Heath Graham. Heath, we've finally seen what we thought we would see in Ottawa. We've seen what was expected to happen in Ottawa come down on Sunday morning. Paul Lapolice has been fired. Sean Burke had to take a very tough decision, partly because of the standings, partly because of the fan base. Paul Lapolice, as you mentioned, no longer the coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks. It was no secret that he was on the hot seat. There's been a lot of speculation over the last probably two months about whether or not he would last through the season. And another disappointing and blowout loss was the final nail in the coffin, as it were. And Paul Lapolice was sent packing. I, I must say, Paul Lapolice comes across as a very genuine person. He has been great on the TSN panel in the past, and he released a very classy statement on his way out, thanking the Red Blacks and the organization, apologizing for not living up to their expectations, and also put out some of the fires that were going to start brewing about him and Sean Burke. He said, there will be a lot of conversations that I was not Sean Burke's number one choice because I was there before he was hired, but he indicated that he felt very well supported by Sean Burke throughout all this as well. Sean Burke, he was put in a tough situation. This is something that he inherited. When you come to a team that had won but three games in its previous season, what do you do with the head coach? And he said, look, we've got two things to consider. We've got the coach's cap and truthfully, has this guy given been given a chance to do what he could do with this team? They brought in the FAs a lot of them on defense, some on offense, to see if they could right the ship. As of yet, it hasn't happened. Now you've got to look at the captain. Does that person have to go? And Burke, ultimately, with that pressure of that fan base, you don't want to have an empty stadium, said, okay, I guess I've got to make this move. Paul Apolis finishes with a 6-22 and record as Ottawa's head coach. As you mentioned, he won three games last season and three so far this season as well. I had spoken a couple of weeks ago about my inkling was that he was going to ride out the season and then look to change. But what this does is it gives Sean Burke a bit of a head start in the head coach search. We don't know if there's going to be more movement amongst teams. Danny Machocha may be looking to replace himself on the sidelines in Montreal. Beyond that, there is uncertainty as to what happens, but certainly getting ahead of the game and starting that process, maybe starting to give people a closer look, a couple of interviews here and there can set themselves up and be ready for the start of the next season. Paul Apolise's record, 22 and 50. That typically does not merit a lot of consideration, especially in the head coaching world. And let's be fair to Lapolice. That number doesn't do him well. He did go to a Grey Cup with the Blue Bombers in 2011. Outside of that, his teams have not performed exceedingly well. I'm thinking of another case where Rich Stubler, who's been a fantastic defensive coordinator forever in this Canadian Football League, yet in his one tour as a head coach, he went 4-6 and six and the Argos said that's enough after 10 games. That was back in 2008. He hasn't had been a head coach in the league since. There are some people 
that maybe through fate, through luck, through happenstance, just aren't going to be head coaches. Each circumstance is unique and it really comes into play the timing of of these things. We saw Jamie Elizondo was heralded coming into Edmonton last season. That ended in disaster and who knows if he gets another look down the road as well. Professional sports are very fickle. Somebody always has to be the one to blame. In some cases, it's easy to point fingers at the quarterback. At some situations, it's easy to point the fingers at the head coach. At the end of the day, something had to change in Ottawa. We don't know the full impact of losing Jeremiah Mazzoli for the majority of the season. He was winless as a starter with Ottawa before the injury. So at this point, the blame has to fall on Paul Apolise. Bob Dice stepping in as the interim head coach deserves the chance. Mike Benavides is another name, their current defensive coordinator that has been tossed into the ring as a potential full-time replacement. But if I'm Sean Burke, it might be time to look outside of the organization completely and really put his stamp on things as the new general manager. It would be a surprise to me if Benavides gets the job. However, it doesn't mean that he doesn't merit it. But typically in this situation, let's face it, if if you're a GM, you want to install somebody that A, probably you know, B, you have a lot of trust in. I've got somebody that I want in that position. Ultimately, let's not forget, team does poorly, coach does poorly, may reflect on the GM. That's my job that I'm trying to protect as well. Burke is not going to rush into hiring a new head coach. Bob Dice, this is a great opportunity for him to audition. Now, for those who remember, he took over from Corey Chamberlain in the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in 2015. Chamberlain left after an 0-9 start. Dice won three of the nine games when he was head coach with the team to finish out that season. Bob has been in the league for a long, long time. He can't really be judged on that Rough Riders team of 2015. And realistically, he replaced a coach that was 0-9 and he ended up with a 3-6 and record. So marked improvement from where they were at the start of the season. And in an, an interim situation, you have to look at that as somewhat of a successful audition. Bob Dice here with the small number of games remaining for the Red Blacks. If he can guide them to a couple of wins down the stretch, that might be enough to warrant removing that interim tag. He's very well respected in the room. The players really like him as a person. Paul Apolise was a nice guy too. So you can't always go with how well liked somebody is. Sometimes you need a bit of a harder voice in the room to shake things up. And and that very well could be what the Ottawa Red Blacks need right now. Bob Dice could be a great motivator. His special teams that he's been in charge of for all these years do well wherever he goes. Devontae Dedman is a classic example of look at the career he's had with Bob Dice in charge. Dice could be the man of the future. It would be nice to see if he gets a real opportunity to apply. No guarantees. He may have actually signed off saying, I won't apply. (laughs) You just don't know. In Saskatchewan, when that came to fruition and the season was over. The Rough Riders really didn't show much interest in having him come back as their head coach, and that's part of the reason why he left for Ottawa. 
Lewis Ward is another special teams player that has thrived under Bob Dice's tutelage in, in Ottawa. So absolutely, that is one of the, the strong points of the team right now. Does that translate into head coach material remains to be seen. He's got to find himself an offensive coordinator. This is one of the problems when you have a dual role coach that you dismiss partway through the season. You have two jobs to replace. Typically, it's easiest to get the head coach. Ironically, the harder part is getting that coordinator position filled. Whom on that team is going to be the person that's going to step up? I don't imagine they can bring somebody from outside and you cannot reinstall an offense on this short a, a approach. Does Jeremiah Mazzoli get a little bit of time helping out? I don't know if you would necessarily anoint him as the offensive coordinator, but certainly somebody who can be a bug in the ear of whoever is running that offense. That would be something that I would really entertain. We shall see. After losing to Winnipeg, Saskatchewan head coach... Craig Dickinson said that injuries are catching up with the Rough Riders. Is that true or is that just coach speak with the reporting crew and essentially you're saying we're in a losing streak and I don't know what's going wrong? When you're 14 or 15 games into a season, what team isn't riddled with injuries? We could go through the rosters of everybody right now. Some of the biggest losses, we've already mentioned Jeremiah Mazzoli in Ottawa, Nathan Rourke in BC who was having a stellar rookie, not rookie, but a stellar season as the starter was putting up numbers that we haven't seen in years. Winnipeg's defensive secondary and receiving core are decimated right now. Calgary suffered a big loss to their offensive line. The list goes on. I I don't know if I necessarily buy what Coach Dickinson is selling at this point. He's looking for answers. He has made some comments about his team not being very good as well. I think it's more of a situation of maybe Coach Dickinson losing the room a little bit. Let's go to Toronto and Calgary from the weekend. Shane Ray tears a bicep. Winton McManus has an MCL injury. Those happen within almost minutes of each other, and the Argos lose two massive cogs in their defense. Everybody at this time of the year, as you elocuted, is in trouble with injuries. There's always somebody that's down that you need, that you'd rather have on the field than not. Interesting stat, the Montreal Alouettes, after four games, were one and three. They are now seven and seven. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders, after four games, were three and one. They are now six and nine. Two teams trending in different directions, and it certainly looks like Montreal's coaching change has shaken things up and moved things in the right direction. The first couple of games with Danny Machocha back on the sidelines were a little shaky. We didn't see the amount of penalties changed drastically over those first two or three games. We're seeing that start to come into play more now. They are taking fewer penalties, moving the ball well. They've got a pretty solid defense and they've got they've righted the ship, whereas the Saskatchewan Rough Riders got into a little bit of a slide. They had a tough couple of games at home against the BC Lions and then they got the classic Labor Day matchup with Winnipeg and have just been slowly slipping down the ladder of teams in the West. You could argue, to be fair to the Rough Riders, that three of those losses came against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Does that factor and give them a little bit of grace? What team hasn't lost to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this season? And and the Calgary Stampeders are a prime example of a team that has lost three games this season to Winnipeg. 
that accounts for three of their five losses at this point. Saskatchewan is going backwards in a hurry. Montreal, since the coaching change, has elevated their play, especially their defense. The defense has really shone, and especially in fourth quarters when they've needed them the most to win games, they've done very, very well. We have huge implication games coming up on the weekend in terms of playoffs, but there are some scenarios that we can discuss. We tried to touch on it last week. We can fill it in a little bit better this week. We know for a fact that Winnipeg, BC, and Calgary are in in the West. We've got that. Winnipeg now wins first with any combination of a win by them and a BC loss. That's all they need. Their, their magic number is now two. They are confirmed to be hosting a playoff game, whether that is the West semifinal or the West final remains to be seen, but they are certainly in control at this point. They need to beat BC at one point and that would clinch it for them for sure. And they've got BC twice in the, in the final two weeks. The Lions need to basically run the table if they want to get into first. And Winnipeg could be caught that way. BC and Calgary are still in the dogfight for second. BC holds the tiebreaker. Saskatchewan cannot finish third, second, or first in the West. Nor can Edmonton. In the East, Toronto and basically Montreal is in. Toronto must do something, though, with the Alouettes in their home-and-home series for them to finish first. Montreal can finish first if they sweep Toronto and win one more game. Hamilton, who's out of the first place conversation for the most part, needs to keep winning if they want to finish second. They have to get three wins, and that would be huge for them if they could get three out of four to end the season. If Ottawa has a prayer, they have to win out. And one thing that Ottawa has is two games against Montreal and two games against Hamilton. So the teams they need to catch are in their windshield. At this point, I would say it's very unlikely, but not impossible that Ottawa and or Edmonton make the playoffs. The biggest contest coming up this week has to be that Hamilton-Saskatchewan game. That is going to really paint the picture of what happens the rest of the way out. Uh, a loss by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders pulls Hamilton to within one game of them. And as we know, Hamilton only needs to be tied in the standings with Saskatchewan to get that third playoff spot in the East. Head-to-head record, all that kind of stuff doesn't matter. There's no tiebreaker. The East team gets it. So this will really show us where those two teams are going. Hamilton's been really up and down over the last couple of weeks. Big win against Winnipeg and then a loss last week to knock them back down to earth. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. The irony is, is that Hamilton gets Calgary once in their final three games. Saskatchewan plays them twice in their final two. Calgary's going to have a lot to say about who's going to be in the playoffs. Hamilton finishes the season against Ottawa. And if Ottawa is out of the playoffs by that time, what kind of Ottawa team, even with Bob Dice's influence, will appear? That's going to be a great question. Hamilton also has a game in hand in this mix. So if they beat Saskatchewan on Friday with a game in hand and they pick up a win somewhere, Saskatchewan has got to find another win to make it to the playoffs. Edmonton, of course... Their magic number to be eliminated is but one. Any combination of Saskatchewan winning, Edmonton losing, 
and it's over for the Elks this year. Calgary is definitely in an interesting position. They are not in a situation where it's likely they're going to be resting players down the stretch here. They're still fighting for a home playoff date. So it's not like they're relaxed by any means. So they will be a very tough out for both Hamilton and Saskatchewan. Second down. Looking back at four games that were on tap in the Canadian Football League last weekend, a huge crowd in Winnipeg, over 33,000, watched the Blue Bombers annihilate the Rough Riders 31-13. Cody Vajardo kind of stating that this was going to be an audition the last four games. Stats were okay, 26-38, 307 in yards passing, one interception. Zach Kolaris, 14-25, but 296 yards on those 14 completions and four touchdowns. That's proficiency. Zach Kolaris in this game reminded me a lot of those gunslinging quarterbacks of the late 80s, early 90s, the the Kent Austins and the Matt Dunnigans, etc. He had an abysmal third quarter where they had a total offense of about six net yards. It was looking like it was going to be a tight finish, Fourth quarter rolls around, first possession. They're deep in their own end. 45 yards to Dalton Schoen, 42 yards to Nick Dembski. They're in the end zone. They get the ball back, two more big plays, and they're, and Dalton Schoen's in the end zone on a 64-yard touchdown. It was a quick strike second-half offense for Winnipeg that pulled this one away. That first two-play drive came on the heels of the Rough Riders kicking a field goal and closing the gap to within a touchdown. Winnipeg almost said, well, that's enough of that. A real statement by Winnipeg. And turnovers were the name of the game in this one as well. The Rough Riders got stuffed on third and short twice to turn the ball over on downs. Cody fumbled a snap. He threw the interception, as you mentioned earlier. We've seen Winnipeg last year beat Saskatchewan when losing the turnover battle badly with six turnovers. Saskatchewan doesn't seem to have the firepower to be able to do that against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It's a glaring piece of evidence when the Rough Riders had six turnovers in a West Final and still couldn't beat the Blue Bombers. Winnipeg didn't require those turnovers against Saskatchewan, but stuffing them on short yardage mattered a lot in this game, and Saskatchewan paid the price for it. The Blue Bombers, with the win, as we've indicated, are now almost putting their hands around the first place trophy the Rough Riders with the loss continue to lose they went 0 for September if they go 0 for October they're probably not in the playoffs the late game British Columbia against Ottawa big question mark which Vernon Adams Jr. was going to show up well the good one made his way onto the field 17 of 22 for 305 yards two touchdowns as the Lions demoralize the Ottawa Redblacks 34-19 at BC Place. Nick Arbuckle went all the way for Ottawa, 27-36 for 363 yards, a touchdown and an interception. A lot of that yardage came late in the game when the Redblacks were well out of it. But Arbuckle did make a game of it as best as he could, given the circumstance. He did. He put up 
big numbers, but once again, difficulty finding the end zone. Did have the one touchdown to Tavon Smith. Other than that, they, they failed to get into the end zone, and that was what ended up costing them in the end. Field goals in the first half, two of them. They were down 24-6 to six by halftime. BC has a tendency of doing that to teams when they're in Vancouver, thumping them early and then just coasting the rest of the way. The Lions, without Brian Burnham, who with a freak accident will be lost to them for a little while, they wanted that stopgap in Vernon Adams Jr., And if they get this type of Vernon Adams Jr. that was showing Friday night, the Lions are probably a threat to finish second in the West. This was the type of play that we were expecting to see out of Vernon Adams in Montreal to start the season, and things didn't work out too well there. It took him a couple of games to really get comfortable with that BC Lions offense, but it certainly looks like he is there now. On special teams, a lot of respect given to Devontae Dedman. The teams so far in his return seem to be kicking away from him at every opportunity. But he does have this miraculous ability to make something out of nothing and did rattle off one 29-yard kickoff return and a 24-yard punt return when it looks like he's been pinned towards the sidelines. He can still make it happen. He is special and... It's a shame the teams do kick away from him because it does take away that element of excitement from the game. You can understand why, but it's a lot more fun when he has the ball in his hand. Moving to Saturday, the Alouettes and Edmonton kicked off the Alberta doubleheader. Montreal trail at halftime 18-17 to to the Elks. The Alouettes, with a massive interception for a touchdown late in the game, win 25-18. to For the Elks, Ignamy follows that. Their 15th straight loss at home sets a pro football record for doing so. And let's consider that includes the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who lost 26 straight games, unfortunately for... Chris Jones, the last seven are on him. For the Elks fans listening, I thought they had this one. Taylor Cornelius was driving the field, had them down in the red zone, and a tipped pass fell into the hands of Tyrese Beverett, who ran it all the way back for the back-breaking winning score to really turn that game around. Beverett almost ran out of gas trying to get to the end zone. It was... Interesting to see that Kevin Brown had come all the way back up the field and looked like he had a chance to get him and then seemed to miss time what he was doing and went sideways and Beverett just cut behind him and went in for the score. It was a, it was a long run for a, for a linebacker to make. They're not usually the guys that, that cover that much ground and he was certainly gassed by the end of it, but he, he toughed it out and found his way across the goal line. 100 yards on the play, something that I know that Edmonton fans have heard before. Milt Stiegel went 100 yards to win a game against the Edmonton team some 17 years ago or so. The Red Blacks, of course, with Abdul Kenna on a tip pass, went back for a score last year at the beginning of the season. And that proved to be the difference in the game. For Edmonton, you mentioned Taylor Cornelius. 16 of 28 for 273 yards and, of course, two interceptions. Edmonton hadn't had a turnover until the fourth quarter, and then they 
came up with three. One at the goal line, two interceptions in the score zone. Trevor Harris, 14 of 17 for 180 and one touchdown pass. Montreal really counted on their defense to do the job, and they did. Not a really flashy performance by Trevor Harris for any means. by any means. Taylor Cornelius, that first interception, as we mentioned, was on a tipped pass. And then he was trying to make too much happen. Another ball in and out of the hands of an Edmonton receiver ended up going back the other way. Not for a, another pick six, but it was certainly the the turning point that put that game out of reach. A tough loss for Kenny Lawler of the Edmonton Elks as well. He's had successful surgery on his collarbone, but will not be returning this season. He was getting more comfortable every game, it seemed, with that Edmonton offense and was a real key contributor and a, a big loss for the Elks and might be the end of their playoff chances. Montreal took 11 penalties in that game. A really good crowd in Edmonton considering the situation. Over 24,000 to watch this Saturday afternoon game. For the Elks, that puts their playoff hopes down to one, either a loss by them or a win by the Rough Riders, and they're out. That does not include what happens with Hamilton. If Hamilton gets ahead of the Rough Riders in the standings, then the Elks are finished anyway. We move to the final game of the weekend, the Calgary Stampeders hosting the Toronto Argonauts. Unfortunately for the Argonauts, Shane Ray and Winton McManus are both eliminated in the first quarter. It's not their defense that proved to have trouble. It was their offense. Not a single score other than singles. And the Stampeders win going away 29-2. Cloud Bethel Thompson, 19 of 38 for 194 yards. Who interceptions. Jake Mayer, 17 of 24, 175 yards and one TD, two interceptions as well. Chad Kelly chipped in with one of five and a pick for Toronto. Defenses really carried this one. To, to hold that Toronto Argonauts offense to two points is a huge, huge win for that Calgary defense. Calgary is one of the better defenses in the league, no doubt, and they proved it in this one. And were responsible not only for holding the Argonauts to two points, but putting up some big points for the Stampeders as well. Cam Judge proved why he was so significant to that team. He leads the league in forced turnovers. He picked another one off and went for a score against Toronto late in the game. The Argos, it was their first time out of the Ontario time zone, if you want to call it that, since week 7, July 24th. I, I heard some grumbling this week about the travel schedule for the East teams when they head west, and we know Ottawa was dealing with a big time change to play in Vancouver, Toronto dealing with a couple hour time change in Calgary as well. But when you look at how much time the Argonauts have spent in that Southern Ontario triangle over the last couple of months, I, I can't really be too sympathetic for their cause of having to travel all the way to Calgary for a game. I think the bigger factor and something that isn't really discussed too much is McMahon Stadium is at altitude. It may not be as high up as Denver's football field, but it is up there a little bit. Toronto just didn't look good at all. And every once in a while, you need to 
get rid of all of the crap. <laughs> and if you can get it out in one game, it's maybe not the worst thing to have happen. I believe we saw that with Winnipeg in their loss to Hamilton as well. It was a game where all of a sudden nothing went right for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Hamilton and Dane Evans just lit them up. And this was a similar game in, in the aspect of a blowout loss. It was the offense in this one that just really could not get anything going. I, I agree with you sometimes, especially with three or four games remaining in the season, you've got time to figure it out. For the Toronto Argonauts, they've got to shake this one off and start looking forward. Kadeem Carey, 14 carries for 92 yards, almost got the century mark. Curious stat, A.J. Ouellette, 9 carries, 66 yards. Toronto really did not use that, and he was averaging 7.3 yards a carry. Toronto may have to revisit that idea about running the ball more. They do 7.3 yards per carry is a fantastic average. And nine carries is enough to give you the indication that it's working. And it's not like he ran off the majority of those yards in one run. His longest carry was 18 yards. So you look at it and, and it's setting you up second and short for the most part every time that he runs the ball. down big games in the cfl huge playoff implications coming up this weekend and it's thanksgiving weekend in canada and for our american friends why is it that canada celebrates thanksgiving earlier we thought of it first friday night saskatchewan's in hamilton to take on the tiger cats the game that may decide who gets the final playoff spot in the CFL. It's weird to say that when it's an interconference game, but it is what it is. The Tiger Cats are favored by 1.5 points at home. Saskatchewan is 0 for September, four straight losses. This is, as far as the playoff implications go, the most interesting game of the week by far. It's going to really clarify how things are looking down the stretch. And I have to give the nod to the home team in this one. I think Hamilton is trending the right direction. Saskatchewan has been so unpredictable. I have to go with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in this one. I believe Dane Evans, if he plays like he we saw him play a couple of weeks ago, will lead this team to victory. Saskatchewan has not had much go their way over the last month, and I believe that trend continues. I'm taking Hamilton and the one and a half point spread is pretty minimal, so I take Hamilton to cover. Hamilton at home is four and three, Saskatchewan on the road, three and four. The Rough Riders, if they don't win this game, they are up against it with the Stampeders in two of the last three weeks of the season. Hamilton with the game in hand after this, if they do win, of course, has that opportunity to catch the Riders with that game, and then all they have to do is keep pace. I'm leaning towards Hamilton as well. Again, they're coming off a bye. The tie Cats at home with that crowd behind them. And Saskatchewan coming in with quarterback Cody Fajardo has stated that the world is against us. This is an audition for me. It's a really tough market in which to play because there's so much scrutiny. That's all signs of a quarterback that's second-guessing a lot of what's going on. And that's not great for confidence. So I'm going to take the, the Tiger Cats with you and the cover. Saturday, we've got a doubleheader. 
first off, British Columbia in Toronto to take on the Argonauts. The Argos at home, even after what happened in Calgary, are still 1.5 point favorites. Does BC pull the upset in Toronto? BC needs this game to stay with the Stampeders, basically stay ahead of them. This is really interesting. We've got two teams confirmed in the playoffs that are battling for playoff position. I'm a little bit surprised that BC does come in as the underdog, given the way the last week has gone. I like Vernon Adams with what he has done over the last couple of games with that BC Lions offense, and I think they do come in to Toronto and pull off the upset. I'm taking the the Lions for the win in this one. Biggest question mark for the Toronto Argonauts is defense. They lose a stout pass rusher, and they lose probably one of the best linebackers in the league in Calgary. Without Ray or McManus, how does that defense perform? They seem to hold up against the Stampeders, but this is a different BC team that likes to attack you, stretch the field. It's a middle-of-the-afternoon game in Toronto. It's morning in BC for this game. I'm going to go with Toronto, and I'm going to call it an upset because I'm with you. I think BC needs to be the favorite team. They're just not. Toronto has to stay ahead of Montreal, and at home, they have to perform. The nightcap, or late afternoon cap, if you want to call that, depending on where you are in the country, is Edmonton in Winnipeg to take on the Blue Bombers, the Elks. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's been in a bigger hole than this. They are 13.5 dogs heading into Winnipeg. That's the two-touchdown spread that Winnipeg has to win by to cover. I believe they do it. We saw that offense can strike quickly. It's interesting. We've talked about Winnipeg not having the scary receiving core earlier on this season, but we've seen the emergence of Dalton shown as probably the runaway rookie of the year. Very solid hands and can can beat you deep. And Nick Dembski over the last five games has really proven himself as a deep threat as well. So I don't think Winnipeg's going to have any problem scoring points in this one. It's whether their defense can come up to hold Edmonton to fewer points, but I believe they do. That Winnipeg defense at home generally plays very well. So I'm taking the Bombers to cover the spread in this one. As has been well chronicled, Edmonton plays better on the road, and especially when they head east to play on the road. I'm not a fan of that big a spread. Edmonton has a strong enough defense that I trust that they can manage what Winnipeg can throw at them. The question is, what does Taylor Cornelius do? If Cornelius stays within himself, plays a strong game, the Elks don't commit turnovers, then this one's way more a a toss-up than this 13.5 would indicate. The Bombers, yes, 6-1 at home. Edmonton's only 4-4 on the road, but throw out the games in BC, and they have a winning record on the road. For whatever reason, they play better on the road. Dare I suggest that the Elks could pull the upset? I may be laughed right off this podcast. You're certainly entitled to your opinion. Monday, Thanksgiving Monday in Canada. Ottawa is in Montreal to take on the Alouettes. Ottawa under new head coach Bob Dice. Montreal, another team that switched coaches midseason, now has Danny Machocha running the ship. Machocha and his Alouettes are 6.5 point favorites. Ottawa went into Montreal last time and beat them 
Is that a concern? Often when teams change coaches mid-season or in the season, you see a little bit of a bump in that first game. And that could be a bit of the case for Ottawa. We're also getting late in the season and some of these players are going to start thinking about their future and auditioning for a job. So that could give them a little bit of an extra boost. Montreal has been trending in the right direction over the second half of the season and has pulled finally to a 500 record. And with Toronto losing last week, first place is not out of the question for the Alouettes. I believe the the Alouettes do win this one at home, but I'm going to take Ottawa to beat the spread in this one. Trevor Harris has not looked great in the last two contests in which he's played. He did do what he needed to do against the Tiger Cats to win the game in the fourth quarter. But against Edmonton, he had very pedestrian numbers. It was the defense that won the day for the Alouettes. I'm very curious to find out what kind of Ottawa team do we see. Fire the coach. You're trusting in one sense that the talent you have on the field is good enough to perform better. How are they going to respond? Ottawa has done well in Montreal over the last few years. They've won in overtime there. Last year, they ended the season and beat them on the final play of the game. They went in there earlier this year and and handed it to them. Don't know why, but certain teams match up very well against other teams. The curious thing was that Montreal, of course, beat Ottawa in Ottawa, part of their O-and homestand. This is really going to be interesting to see how this plays out. If Ottawa wants to be in the playoffs conversation at all, they have to win. Montreal will know what happened to Toronto by then. I'm leaning towards the Alouettes and a better response from Trevor Harris and the cover. Another interesting week. We're coming right down to the to the wire for playoff positions, and it certainly is going to be a lot clearer after Thanksgiving Monday. Winnipeg could have clinched first place in the West. We could see a couple of teams completely eliminated from playoff contention here as well. So Again, I'm most looking forward to that Saskatchewan-Hamilton game as far as the playoff implications go, but we should be tuning in for some fantastic matchups this week. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again the Third Down Gamble podcast audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.